Everybody having a good weekend so far? So it was so good. You guys really, I was, was amplified this morning. <laughs> All right. Well, we're going to get started uh, with our lesson here this morning. Uh, if you guys remember the last three weeks, we've been going over a, a, a series of sermons on the Son of God so we can better understand his fleshly, uh, pre-fleshly, his fleshly and his uh, glorified state. And uh, today's no exception. We're going to be in part four. This will probably be the last part uh, of this series. Uh, there's obviously so much more that can be said about our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ uh, in all aspects of his existence. But the, the, the goal of this series was is to give you some, um, some different thoughts, some different views of, uh, of what you may have previously looked at our Lord and Savior Jesus as. To understand that he is more than uh, just a man. He was more than just the Son of God. And so that we look at his glorified state so that we, we can understand what it means that Jesus is both God and man. And as we look at today's lesson, last week, like I said, we started to look at his glorified state. We were talking about the ascension. We were talking about his high priesthood. Uh, we were talking about things like that last week. This week, we're going to specifically look at Jesus, the judge of all mankind. And it's important that we understand uh, that Jesus is going to be our judge. We remember that when he came in his fleshly state, he even makes the comments in John chapter 12, I didn't come to judge the world, I came to save the world. He came in the fleshly state to be our redeemer, to be our savior of all mankind. But in his glorified state, we're going to see him come back and we're going to see him be the judge of all mankind. And it's important that we understand that because there's too many people don't understand how Jesus is both God and man simultaneously. And so hopefully, as we've been looking at these lessons over the last three weeks and then this week, this will help you to have a little bit deeper, better understanding of Scripture. So that way, as you're studying out the Scriptures, it'll, come, it'll, come to, it'll just kind of bring it to life that much more as you have a deeper, further understanding. Because the reason why is it's just sometimes hard for people who don't fully understand the Scriptures to understand the teachings of Jesus and God and how uh, when you think about deity there's it's really a multifaceted uh, uh, levels right you look at it it's there's a multi-sided nature to God as we study out the life of Jesus Christ and so many individuals they only want to focus in on the love and the mercy of God have you spoken with individuals who just love to focus on the mercy and love of God right and I see heads shaking but they don't necessarily want to focus in on the God the judge on, on, on God who's going to not only judge us, but he's also going to condemn us to an eternal punishment. They say, but how can the God of love be the God of, 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 of punishments? And say, well, it's very simple. When you understand all that the scriptures teach about God, you understand that it's not God who sends somebody to hell. We send ourselves to hell. We, it's not God who uh, uh, automatically chooses that uh, three of the five in this row go to heaven, two of the three in that row go to heaven, uh, one of the two of you go to heaven. No, that's not the way it works. We understand that whether we enter into the heavenly realm or whether we enter into eternal punishment is based on the consequences of our own choices. It's based on the life that we choose to live. And so as we understand scripture, brethren, we need to make sure that we don't look at God as just the God of love and mercy, but we also understand that he's a God who judges and condemns to eternal punishment as well. And that's why it's so very important that when we think about the scriptures, we understand that there's no plan B. What do I mean that there's no plan B? 
Jesus came to give his life as a ransom, right? He came to, uh, to be the payment for the sins of all mankind, to be our redeemer. Well, there is no plan B. There is no other option. You either accept Jesus as Lord and Savior, and you are baptized for the remissions of your sin. God adds you to the church. You live faithfully unto God. You receive the crown of life. Or you don't. And that's okay. That's your choice. But at the end of the day, don't say how God sends people to hell. God doesn't send anybody to hell. He's patient with us, as Peter teaches us. Long-suffering, not desiring for any of his creation to perish, but for all to come to the uh, saving knowledge of Jesus Christ and the Scriptures. Brethren, we look at the Scriptures here this morning. And we understand that, yes, Jesus is the judge of the world, but there are some major events that are going to have to take place before the second coming. And we're briefly going to look at some of those here this morning in a very, just kind of a brief uh, uh, segment on each one. But before we get into it, I understand that when we study out the Bible, it really summarizes three points. Someone's coming, someone came, and someone's coming again. I mean, that really, if you want to take a basic summary of the Bible, that's a basic summary of the Bible. But who is that someone? Who is it that was going to come? Who was it that already existed before the foundations of the world? And we understand his, his name to be the Word, which was Jesus. We know that uh, when the angel came and met with Mary, that she was going to give him the name Jesus, which means Savior. And so we understand, brethren, when Jesus ascended, the angels told the apostles that the, he says, in the same way in which you have seen him ascend, you will see him return. We learn about this in Acts chapter 1 and verses 6 through 11, where Jesus he ascended on the clouds unto the Father. And the angel said, in the same way, you'll see him return. We understand, brethren, when we study out the scriptures, we study out the idea of the second coming of Christ. There are no signs. There is no sign of, that is going to be uh, of his return uh, that we can look to and say, oh, did you see that? The Lord is coming very quickly. We know that because this just happened, that he should be here any time now. We know that the scriptures give us and tell us that there are no signs of the imminent return of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And so scripture says that he will be like a thief in the night. Uh, Paul, the Apostle Paul, wrote to the people of Thessalonica in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, telling them that he'll be like a thief in the night when he returns, meaning that it's going to be unexpected. There's no one who's going to know the time and the place of his return. Because Jesus even said, even I don't know. Only the Father has, knows it and has put it into his own time for when the return will be. And so, brethren, when we look at the scriptures here this morning, listen to what the Apostle Paul had to say. Listen to what we're going to see that the, uh, the Apostle John also had to say in regards to this idea. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 and verse 16, the scriptures tell us, For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of an archangel, and with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. But I also think about what the Apostle John had to say in Revelation, in chapter 1 and verse 7, where it says, Behold, he is coming with the clouds, and every eye will see him, even those who pierced him, and all the tribes of the earth will mourn over him, and so it is to be. Brethren, that is what we know that we need to understand about the second coming of Christ. But as I said, before the judgment comes, there are things that are going to happen. And the first thing that is going to happen is that eventually he is going to return in the same way in which he descended or ascended back to the Father. And we know that as we look at this next aspect of it, it's talking about the resurrection of the dead. 
We consider the resurrection of the dead, brethren. The Holy Spirit guided apostle tells us when Jesus comes, there will be a resurrection of the dead and the changing of those who are alive. Meaning that those who are dead in Christ, it tells us in 1 Thessalonians and 1 Corinthians chapter 15, they will rise first. Those who are still alive will then also be called up into the air and they will be separated as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. The sheep will be on the right and the goats will be on the left. And we understand that the scriptures tell us through the Apostle Paul to the Thessalonians and to the Corinthians that those who are on the right will be welcomed into the heavenly realm. The goats that are on the left will be cast into eternal hellfire and damnation. Brethren, those who have died and their souls have gone into the Hadean realm, which is the place of departed spirits, will be reunited with a resurrected body. And so, brethren, we look at the scriptures here this morning. We understand that when we receive that resurrected body, it will be changed. It will be different in makeup, different than our earthly, fleshly bodies, as the Apostle Paul teaches us in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. It will be a body that is prepared for eternity. Because when we are raised up uh, with Christ Jesus, we will be like spirits. We will be like angels in heaven. And we will not have the same earthly body, the same earthly uh, infirmities, the same earthly um, uh, restrictions uh, that we have here in the flesh. And so the resurrection for the dead is referred to by the inspired Apostle Paul as a victory over death. You look at 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and verses 56 and following, and the scriptures tell us here that the sting of death is sin and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives to us victory through our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, be immovable, uh, uh, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your toil will not be in vain in the Lord. And so, brethren, it's crystal clear that the inspired Apostle John has just stated that the resurrection of the dead will be different for those who are not in Christ. I'm going to say that again. The resurrection of the dead will be for different for those who are not in Christ. Well, how do, we, how do we get into Christ? Well, we know we talk about that all the time. We talk about baptism. We talk about the 3,000 who had their hearts pricked on the day of Pentecost. We know that Peter said that when they asked him, Brethren, what must we do? And he told them, You must repent and be baptized for the remission of your sins. You receive the gift of the Holy Spirit, and we know that God will add you to the church when you get to verse 47. It talks about it. And it's, you know, in verse 41 and 42, it says, continuously those who were being saved were being added unto the church, as you look at verses 42 through 47. So, brethren, we know how to get into Christ, but in order to get into Christ, you also have to be faithful. You know, it's not just something like a marriage where you say, I do, and then the work is done. When you say, I do, the hard work begins. Because now you have to learn to love one another. You have to learn how to live with one another. You have to learn how to deal with each other's kind of idiosyncrasies, right? And so we know that there's a learning process there. When you give your life to Christ, just like in marriage, there's a learning curve. We have to understand, as the bride of Christ, what he expects of us as his bride. And we have to learn to become more faithful. We have to teach, we have to learn what the scriptures teach, so that way we may repent of any and all sin. That way we don't find ourselves practicing sin, which there will no longer be a sacrifice for, as Hebrews 10 and 26 tells us. And so, brethren, we understand in the scriptures here this morning. And I want you to see what the Apostle John also had to say in John chapter 5 and verse 28 and 29. Do not marvel at this, 
For an hour is coming in which all who are in the tombs will hear his voice. And they will come forth, those who did the good deeds to the resurrection of life. Notice what it says. And those who committed evil deeds to a resurrection of judgment. As I said at the outset of this lesson, there are too many people in the church and those in Christendom who want to look at God as God as only a God of love and mercy and not a God of judgment and condemnation. But you have to understand when you understand all, all the multifaceted nature of God, that God cannot violate his nature of righteousness. And that when we have sin and that sin separates us from God, it creates a rebellion, so to speak. And the Holy Spirit that resides within us cannot fellowship with sin that is practiced, that is habitual. And so I want us to now turn our focus. Like I said, we're only going to look at each aspect just briefly because there's just way too much that can be said. But in the next aspect, we're going to talk about the destruction of the world. Because when Jesus comes back, the world isn't going to remain as we know it today. At Jesus' coming, there will be a great fire in the burning up of the heavens and the burning up of the earth. And the Apostle Peter spells it out very clearly in crystal clear language. The heavens will pass away with a roar, he tells us in 2 Peter chapter 3, and the elements will be destroyed with intense heat, and the earth and its works will be burned up, and all will be destroyed by fire, and it will be no more. Brethren, if the present heavens and earth are to be destroyed, then where will the redeemed people be for all eternity? That's a logical question. Well, the Apostle Peter gives us that answer in 2 Peter chapter 3 and verse 13. And in 2 Peter chapter 3 and in verse 13, the scriptures tell us, but according to his promise, God's promise, we are looking for a new heaven and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Brethren, the place is also referred to as heaven. It's also referred to in scripture as the eternal kingdom of heaven. It's also referred to in scripture as the paradise of God. And so that is what we could expect. But we also know that when the Jesus comes, there comes the judgment. In Hebrews chapter 9 and verse 27, it says, Inasmuch as it is appointed for men to die once, then after this comes the judgment. Remember, Jesus came in the world in his fleshly state to save the world. Not to condemn it, but to save it. To be our redeemer, to be our deliverer, to be our savior, as we learn in the Holy Scriptures. However... When Jesus returns this second time, it will be in his glorified state, and it will be in order to, uh, to bring judgment upon all mankind. When Jesus comes back in his glorified state, it will be to bring judgment, to give an account of the deeds done in the body, whether good or bad, as we learn about in 2 Corinthians 5 and 10. You see, brethren, we understand that the scriptures have told us, tells us specifically that God has fixed a day in which he will judge the world. You get to the book of Acts, in Acts chapter 17, we see the Apostle Paul telling us here that God has fixed a day in which he will judge the world in righteousness through a man whom he has appointed, having furnished proof by raising him from the dead. And so you understand this to be speaking of who? It's speaking of Jesus. It's speaking of the Son of God. It's speaking of the Son of Man. It's speaking of Emmanuel, God with us. Brethren, Jesus is indeed the Savior of the world, and his judgment will be, the, will be just 
and it will be righteous, and it will be in the day in which it's supposed to be. A day which will be like a thief in the night, when no one knows the day or the time in which it will come. There have been many people in the religious world who have, uh, who have thought they had an epiphany, who thought they've seen a vision, who thought an angel had come to them and given them some supernatural knowledge of when the Christ was going to return. And then there's these cults that would all get together and they would do crazy things uh, thinking that the ends were coming and coming to find out each and every time the day would come and the day would pass and yet we are still here. And why is that? Because I don't know how much more clear the scriptures can make it. When Jesus returns, it will be like a thief in the night. Who knows when the thief is coming? No one. If you knew, you'd be prepared and ready. And so it tells us we know not the day, we know not the time. And so why do these individuals continually try to deceive people with the knowledge, uh, some false knowledge that they have of his coming? You see, brethren, the last aspect that we're going to look at here this morning is really the reward or the punishments. As we said earlier in uh, 2 Corinthians, I mentioned that we will be judged based on our deeds. God sends no one to heaven. He sends no one to hell. You are there based on your choice. As Tom said this morning, Jesus came and did his part, but there are conditions placed on his creation. And that based on those conditions, we either live for God, we're either baptized in Christ, or we're not. And that is the choice that God gives to you. And if you are baptized into Christ, you then have to determine, are you going to live faithfully unto the Lord? And that is another choice that you have. You see, brethren, God sends nobody anywhere. We actually send ourselves to heaven. We send ourselves to hell when we either do or don't do the things that God commands of his creation. It makes me think of the purpose of judgment in the first place. The purpose of judgment is to finalize whether a person is going to be eternally saved or eternally lost. The resurrection of all men is unto judgment. But, John, but the, the, the Apostle John adds, it will either be a resurrection of condemnation or a resurrection of life. And that is why you've heard me say multiple times that, you know, you watch all these uh, fanciful movies, sci-fi type movies, right? And all the vampire type movies and these different things. And, and, and they talk about immortal, eternal beings. We are immortal, eternal beings because you're going to be raised, uh, raised up again and you're going to live on in the spirit. But you're going to either be raised up and, and live on eternally in one of two locations. Amen. You're either going to be eternally saved or you're going to be eternally lost. And it's going to be based on everything that's going to have to do with you on everything that you have to decide if you're going to live for God or you're going to live for my own desires, my own flesh. Are you going to be the God of your life or are you going to allow Jesus to be the Lord of your life? Jesus says, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. Isn't that a conditional word? If, right? If you love me, you'll keep my commandments. And if you love me and are not ashamed of me, I will speak of you before my Father. But if you are ashamed of me, I will be ashamed of you. And I, then I will not speak on, uh, speak on your behalf to my father. You see, brethren, you go back to, and you really study out the scriptures. This is, the people want to uh, seem like this is a difficult concept. They talk about the, 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 uh, the coming of Christ. And they want to make it so much more difficult than it really is. You're either in Christ or you're not. And you either live faithfully or you don't. It's a very simple process. It's not that uh, complicated. And yet we have we've have you know, kind of convoluted it based on all the what teachings of men 
If you just study the scriptures, you allow the word to speak for itself, it tells you exactly what you need to do. It gives you the blueprint how to attain heaven. But you, as an individual, God has given you free will to choose whether or not you will decide to be faithful unto God or not. In the book of Romans, in Romans chapter 1, starting in verse 18, it tells us that mankind is without excuse. We are without excuse because God has made himself known to man. And if he has made himself known to man, then we are without excuse. Why? Because he has given us the knowledge. 2 Peter 1 and 3, God has given us all knowledge for everything for life and godliness. So you either take the knowledge and apply it, or you just take the knowledge and you bury it. Kind of like the man who had the one talent versus the man who had the three talents or the five talents, right? We know that the one with the one talent buried the talents instead of using it to the furtherance of the kingdom. Brethren, we study out the scriptures this morning. Even Jesus himself says in Matthew chapter 25, These shall go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. Well, what is he talking about there? Well, keeping it in context, Jesus is saying, I came to you, I was hungry, you fed me, I was naked, you clothed me, I was sick, you visited me, I was in prison and you came to me, I was thirsty and you gave me drink. And they said, righteous say to God, when did we see you in these states? When did we come to you and do that? He said, to the least that you did it of these brethren of mine, it's as if you did it to me. And then he goes on in the same uh, passage of Scripture to say the same exact words, but those who didn't do that to the least of them, it's as if you rejected me yourself. You see, God has given us all that we need for life and godliness. He tells us. The Bible, I've said it before a long time ago, it's kind of like a survival guide, right? I've used the analogy a long time ago. If you're going to go to Alaska, my son's in Alaska right now, right? And he doesn't know anything about Alaska. And his first couple weeks on the base, he goes out the back door, one of the guys, or let's go get some fresh air. And they walk out the back door and they put, you know, most kids nowadays are looking at their phone. They go out the door and they look up and there's a moose standing where Patrick is standing and it starts to like grunts and make its noises at Noah and they got so scared they ran right back into the into the into the building but what, what's the point the point is he wasn't aware of the potential danger even though they gave them some of the information about the danger of the wildlife you know if you're in Alaska you might want to see what the various threats are going to be because there are many things that could kill you amen the weather the train the wildlife there's many things that could take you out and have you meet your maker. And yet, we have the Bible. The Bible is like our spiritual survival guide. It tells you what to expect. It tells you what's going to come. It tells you of the affliction or the persecution that you're going to receive. And yet, it gives you all of the information to attain eternal life in Christ Jesus. Whether or not you adhere to the information, whether or not you read the survival guide and apply the techniques... It's wholly up to you. Amen? So how many people does God send to hell versus how many people send themselves to hell? You see, God doesn't send anybody to hell. And so when people say that a loving God, surely there's not a... I mean, another aspect of it is there are people in, in Christendom today. Do you know there's people in Christendom today that are denying that hell even exists? They're saying because if God's a loving God and God's a merciful God, well then surely he's not going to send anybody to hell. Surely he's not going to condemn us to a, uh, to a fate of eternal punishment. But they don't understand the nature of God. They don't understand the many-sided nature of God. That yes, he's God of love and mercy, but a God of judge and condemnation and punishment as well. 
And that God cannot violate his own nature like many of us often do in our earthly state. Anybody ever hear violate your conscience? Violate your own nature? Do things you know not to, be, you know not to do, but you do them anyways? You see, brethren, that is called sin. Even one sin separates you from a holy and righteous God, and God cannot fellowship with sin. And so that's why we know in 1 John it says that if you continue on in the scriptures, that the blood of Jesus Christ continuously cleanses you of any and all sin. I've heard Christians say that they're so worried if they're going to go to heaven or hell, they're not sure if they're going to go to heaven or hell, and they're constantly worried about it because they think they're in, they're out, they're in, they're out, they're in, they're out. If every time you sin, you're out, and every time you repent that you're in, that's ridiculous. Because... You, you might as well just flip a coin, you know what I mean, when, when it comes to the end of your life. God tells us that you're a sinner in need of a Savior, and that if you're in Christ and you continue to walk in the light as he is in the light, First John, that the blood of Jesus Christ continues to cleanse over you in all your sins. But if you practice sin, Hebrews 10 and 26, if you practice sin habitually, there no longer remains a sacrifice for your sins. You see, because you, by giving into your fleshly desires, giving into sin, have removed yourself from God's presence. Nobody can remove you from the love of God, but you can remove yourself. And so, brethren, as you get ready to close this lesson down, judgment will be a glorious day to the faithful believer, but a horrible day for those who have rejected God, rejected his son, and rejected the truth. Brethren, as I close this lesson down, realize that the Lord is coming as a thief in the night. And when you realize that he's coming in a thief, as a thief into a night, then you don't have to be led astray by all the false teachers who claim to have a secret knowledge of when he is coming, even though he goes against the very words of Jesus himself. Realize that, there are not, that we are not in darkness, but we are children of the light for all who are in Christ. And, there, and we need to understand, brethren, that we are, to not, uh, we are to not sleep, but to remain sober, remain vigilant. Be aware of any and all situations that are going around us. Be aware of your weaknesses and be constantly striving to, to become stronger and more faithful and more spiritual in all that you do. Be aware of your weaknesses. Be alert and be sober. Let us, uh, let us put on the breastplate of faith and love. Let us put on the helmet of, of faith and salvation. Brethren, let us realize that we are destined not for wrath, but for salvation if we remain true to God. If we remain faithful and true, God will remain faithful and true. The choice is yours. Remember what the Apostle Paul said that Randy read here this morning. The second half of, uh, of Philippians chapter 2 and verse 12 says, We must work out our salvation with fear and trembling. Brethren, it says you must work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Why? Because it is not a guarantee. It is not once saved, always saved. I'm baptized, I'm in. Now it doesn't matter what I do the rest of my life. I'm in. That's not what the scriptures teach at all. The, uh, Paul wrote to Timothy. He names people by name uh, that, that had fell away, that were at one time faithful servants, uh, and that he had to send back over to Satan. We, remember, we know that in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, the man who had his, uh, his father's wife, he was a Christian, he was in Christ, and yet he was commanded to be turned back over to Satan. Why? For the, for the, hopefully for the salvation of his spirit. Hopefully he was going to realize the sin, repent of the sin, and come back to the Lord. Brethren, if you're hearing this message today, understand there is many more things that can be said on, on this topic when we look at the multifaceted nature of deity. But we need to understand that God gives us answers. 
There's not a person in here who can't read the scriptures and come to the knowledge of the truth. That's the reason why it was written originally in Koine Greek, which was the common language of the day. So anybody and everybody could understand it. Will it take time? Yes. Will it take effort? Yes. Are there many difficult things to understand? Yes. Is it impossible? No. Brethren, find somebody within the congregation. Find somebody who, who, who can mentor you. We have many men and women within this congregation who do Bible studies on a regular basis, who are able to teach you the truth, who are able to help you to come to a deeper uh, knowledge of Christ and have a more faithful faith. And so, brethren, if you're here today and you are not a child of God and you wish to be baptized for the remission of your sins, you wish to become a child of God and have God add you to the kingdom and receive the gift of the Holy Spirit, you could do that as we stand and sing the song of invitation.